Witch of the Demon Seas, Chapter 8 Down a long curving ramp that led into a pit of blackness. The dungeons could not be far. They led this way. He hugged himself into the shadows as a troop of guards went by. They were talking in their hoarse, croaking language and did not peer into the corners of the labyrinth. When they were past, Corrin sped on his way. The stone walls became rough, damp tunnels, hewed after the living rock under the castle. He groped through a blackness relieved only by the occasional dull glow of fungi. The darkness hissed and rustled with movements. He caught the glimmer of three red eyes watching, and something slithered over his bare feet. A far, faint scream quivered down the hollow length of passages. It had shaken him when he was here before, but now, what mattered? What was important, save to kill as many of the monsters as he could before they overwhelmed him? The tunnel opened on a great cave, whose floor was a pool of oily black water. As he skirted its rim along a narrow slippery ledge, something stirred, a misshapen giant thing, darker than the night. It roared hollowly and swam toward him. A wave of foul odor came with it, catching Corrin's throat in a sick dizziness. He swayed on the edge of the pool, and the swimmer began to crawl out of it toward him. Corrin saw its teeth gleam wetly in the vague blue light, but there were no eyes. It was blind. He retreated along the ledge toward the farther exit. The ground trembled under the bulk of the creature. Its jaws clashed shut behind him as he leaped free. Racing down the tunnel, he heard the bellowing of it, like dull thunder through the reeking gloom. It wouldn't follow far, but that way of return would be barred to him. No matter, no matter. He burst out into another open space. It was lit by a dim flickering fire, over which crouched three armed Xanthi. Beyond, the red light glimmered on an iron-barred doorway, and behind that there were figures stirring. Men. Horan bounded across the floor, the sword shrieking in his hand. It whirled down to crash through the skull bones of one guard. Before he could free it, the other two were on him. He ducked a murderous pike thrust and slipped close to the wielder, stabbing upward with his dagger. The Xanthian screamed and hugged Corrin close to himself, fastening his jaws in the man's shoulder. Corrin slashed wildly, ripping open the throat. They tumbled to the ground, locked in each other's arms, raging like beasts. Corrin's knife glanced off the Xanthian's ribs and he felt the steel snap over. He got both hands into the clamping jaws, heedless of the fangs, and wrenched. The jawbone cracked as he forced the reptile's mouth open. He rolled from beneath the still feebly struggling creature and glared around for the third. That one lay in a hacked ruin against the cell. He had backed up too close to the bars and the men inside still had their weapons. Gasping, Corrin climbed to his feet. An eager baying of fierce voices rolled out from the cell. Men gripped the bars and howled in maddened glee. Corrin, 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 get us out of here! Let us out to rip Shorzan's guts loose! Ah! The Conahurian lurched over to a dead Xanthian to whose waist hung a bundle of keys. His hands shook as he tried them in the lock. When he got the door open, the men were out in a single tide. He leaned heavily on an Umlotuan's arm. What? What happened to you? he asked. The devils let us down here and then closed the door on us snarled the blue man. Later a group of them in rich dress came down, and suddenly we saw what a slavery we'd been in to Shorzan. Suddenly it no longer seemed that obedience to him was the only possible thing. Mawanzi led me at his throat. You may have that chance, said the pirate. He felt strength returning. He stood erect and faced them in the flickering firelight. Their eyes gleamed back at him out of the shadows, fierce as the metal of their weapons. Listen, he said. 
We might be able to fight our way out of here, but we'd never escape across the Demon Sea. But I know a way to destroy this whole cursed house and every being in it, if you'll follow me. Aye! The shout filled the cavern with savage thunder. They shook their weapons in the air, gleam of red-lit steel out of trembling darkness. Aye! Corrin picked up his sword and trotted down the nearest passageway. He was bleeding, he saw vaguely, but he felt little pain from it. He was beyond that now. The thing was to find the devil powder. Zathu had said it was somewhere down here. They went along tunnel after winding tunnel, losing all sense of direction in the wet, hollow dark. Corrin had a sudden nightmare feeling that they might wander down here forever, blundering from cave to empty cave while eternity grayed. Where are we going? asked someone impatiently. Where is Auntie to fight? I don't know, snapped Corrin. They came suddenly into another broad cavern, beyond which was another barred door. For Xanthi stood guard in front of it. They never had a chance. The air was suddenly full of hurled weapons, and they were buried under a pile of edged steel. Corrin searched the bodies but found no keys. In the murk beyond he could dimly see boxes and barrels reaching to fathomless distances, but the door was held fast. Of course, Dathy would never trust his men-at-arms with entrance to the devil powder. The corsair snarled and grabbed a bar with both hands. Pull, men of Amlotu, he shouted. Pull. They swarmed close, thirty-odd big blue men with a strength of hate in them, clutching the salvars, grabbing each other's waists, heaving with a force that shrieked through the iron. Pull! The lock burst and they staggered back as the door swung wide. Instantly Corrin was inside, ripping open a box and laughing aloud to see the black grains that filled it. For a wild moment he thought of plunging a brand into the powder and going up in flame and thunder with the castle. Coldness returned. He checked himself and looked around for fuses. His followers would not have permitted him to commit a suicide that involved them, and after all, the longer he lived, the more enemies he'd have a chance to cut down personally. I've heard talk of this stuff, said one of the men nervously. Is it true that setting fire to it releases a demon? Ah, Corrin found the long rope-like fuses coiled in a box. He knotted several together and put one end into the powder. The ignition of one container would quickly set off the rest, and the cavern was huge and filled with many shiploads of sleeping hell. If we can find our way to the ship and get clear before the fire reaches the powder, began the Umlotun. We can try that, I suppose, said Corrin. He estimated the burning time of his fuse for memories of the use he'd seen the Xanthi make of the devil powder. Yes, there would be fair allowance for escape, though he doubted that they would ever reach the strand alive. He touched a stick from the fire to the end of the fuse. It began to sputter, a red spark creeping along it toward the open box. Let's go, shouted Corn. They pounded along the tunnel, heedless of direction. There should be an upward-leading ramp somewhere. Ah, there it was. Up its length they raced, past levels of the dungeons toward the main floor of the castle. At the end there was a brighter blue light than they had seen below. Up, up, up and out. The chamber was enormous, a pillared immensity reaching to a ceiling hidden in sheer height. Rugs and tapestries of the scaled Xanthian weave were strewn about, and their heavy, intricately carved furniture filled it. At the far end stood a towering canopied throne, on which sat a huge golden form. Other ships stood around it, and there were pikemen lining the walls at rigid attention. Through the haze of mist and twilight, Corrin saw the black robe of Shorzan and the flame-coloured cloak of Chryseus. He shrieked an oath and plunged for them. A horn screamed, and the guards sprang from the walls to form a line before the throne. The humans shucked against the Xanthi with a fury that clamoured through the building. 
swords and axes began to fly. Corrin hewed at the nearest grinning reptile face, felt the sword sink in and roared the war cry of Conahor. He spitted the monster on his blade, lifted it, and pitchforked it into the ranks of the guards. Zathu bellowed and rose to meet him. Suddenly the Xanthian king was not there. It was a tentacled thing from the sea bottom that filled the room, a thing whose bloated dark body reared to the ceiling. Someone screamed. Fear locked the battlers into motionlessness. Magic! It was a snaring rattle in Corrin's throat. He sprang into the very body of the sea creature. He felt the shock of striking its solid form, the rasp of its hide against him, the overwhelming poisonous stench of it. One tentacle closed around him. He felt his ribs snapping and the air popping from his burst lungs. It wasn't real. His mind gasped through the whirling agony. It wasn't real. He ploughed grimly ahead, blind in the illusion that swirled around him, striking, striking. Dimly through the roaring in his nerves, he felt his blade hit something solid. He bellowed in savage glee and smote again, again, and again. The smashing pressure lifted. He sobbed air into himself and looked with streaming eyes as the giant form dissolved into smoke, into mist, into empty air. It was Zathu writhing in pain at his feet. Zathu with his head nearly chopped off. It was only another dying Xanthian. Corrin leaped up onto the throne and looked over the room. The guards and the sailors were still standing in shaken silence. Kill them, roared the pirate. Strike them down. Battle closed again with a snarl and a clang of steel. Corrin glared around after other Xanthi of the sorcerer breed. There were none in sight. They must prudently have fled into another part of the castle. Well, let them. But other Xanthi were swarming into the chamber. Battle horns were hooting, and the guttural reptile voices crying a summons. If the humans were not to be broken by sheer numbers, they'd have to fight their way out, soon. And down in the dungeons a single red spark was eating its way toward a box of black powder. Corrin jumped down again to the floor. His sword leaped sideways, cut a Xanthian spine across, bit the tail from another. To me, he bawled. Over here, men of Umlotu. The blues heard him and rallied, gathering into compact knots that slashed their way toward where his dripping sword whined and thundered. He never stopped striking. He drove the reptiles before him until they edged away from his advance. The men formed into one group, and Corrin led it across the floor in a dash to the looming doorway. A red thought flashed across his brain. Where were Shazan and Chryseus? The Xanthi scattered before the desperate human rush. The men came out into a remembered hallway. It led to the outside, Corrin recalled. By Brennach Branner they might escape yet. Corrin, Corrin, you sea devil! I knew it was your doing! The Conachurian turned to see Amazu bounding toward him with a bloody axe in one hand. Amazu, thank all the gods, Amazu was free. I heard a noise of fighting and the tower guards went off toward it, gasped the Umlotuan captain. So I came to, on the way I met Shorzan and Chryseus. What of them? breathed Corrin. The blue warrior smiled savagely and flung a red thing down at Corrin's feet. There's Shorzan's scheming head. My woman is free. Chryseus! Crassius! Amazu leaned on his axe, panting. She launched her arinye at me. I ducked into a room and slammed the door in its face, then came here through another entrance. Crassius was loose. I've got to get clear, said Corrin. The devil powder is going to go off any time now. The Xanthi were rallying. They came at the humans in another rush. Corrin and Amazu and their best men. 
filled the corridor with a haze of steel, backing down toward the outer portal. It was a crazy blur of struggle, hewing at faces that wavered out of night, slapping down thrusts and reaching for the life of the enemy. Men fell, and others took their places in the line. Down the corridor they retreated, fighting to get free, and they left a trail of dead. The end of the passage loomed ahead, and the monstrous iron door was swinging shut. Gracia stood in the entrance. A wild storm wind outside sent her cloak flapping about her, red wings beating in the lightning-shot darkness about the devil's rage of the goddess face. Stay here, she screamed. Stay here and be cut down, you triple traitor. The nearest Omlotuan sprang at her. The door clashed shut in his face. They heard the great bolts slam down outside. They were boxed in the end of the hall, and the Xanthi need only shoot them down with arrows. Down in the dungeons, the fuse burned to its end. A sheet of flame sprang up in the opened box of powder, reaching for the stacks around it. Chapter 9 The first explosion came as a muffled roar. Corrin felt the floor tremble under his feet. Men and Xanthi stood motionless, looking at each other with widening eyes in which a common doom arose. So it ended. Shazan and Sarthu and their wizard cohorts would be gone. But Chryseus, mad, lovely Chryseus, was loose, and the guards knew what hell she could brew among the leaderless Xanthi. The walls groaned as another boom echoed down their length. Well, death came to every man, and he had not done so badly. Corrin began to realize how weary he was. He was bleeding from wounds, and breath was raw in his lungs. The Umlotuans hammered on the door in panic, but the twenty or fewer survivors could never break it down. The devil powder roared. The floor heaved sickeningly under Corrin's feet. He heard the crash of collapsing masonry. Wait, wait, one chance, one chance by the gods. Be ready to run out when the walls topple, he shouted. We'll have a little time. The Xanthi were fleeing in terror. The humans stood alone, waiting while the explosions rolled and banged around them. Cracks zigzagged across the walls. Dust choked the dank air. Crash! Corrin saw the narrow wall swaying, toppling. The floor lifted and buckled, and he fell to the lurching ground. All the world was an insanity of racket and ruin. The lintel caved in. The portal sagged. Corrin leaped for the opening like a pouncing erinye. The men swarmed with it, out through the widening hole while the roof came down behind them. Someone screamed, a faint lust sound in the grinding fury of sundering stone. Rocks were flying. Corrin saw one of them crack a man's head like a melon. Wildly he ran as the outer façade came down. There was a madness of storm outside, wind screaming to fell the sky, driving solid sheets of rain and hail before it. The incessant blinding lightning glared in a cold shadowless brilliance. The bawling thunder drowned the roar of exploding devil powder. They fought out through the courtyard past the deserted outer gate. There came a blast which seemed to crack the sky. Corrin was knocked down as by a giant's fist. He lay in the mud and saw a pillar of flame lift toward the heavens, with the castle fattening up on its wings. Thunder roared over the earth shouting to the storm that raged in the heavens. Corrin picked himself up and leaned dizzily against a tree stripped clean by the blast. Rain slanted across the ground, churning the mud beneath his feet, the livid lightning glare blazing above. Vaguely, through ringing deafened ears, he heard the wild clamor of the sea. Looking down the cataract which the upward trail had become, he saw the Briseis, 
rocking in the wind where she lay on the beach. He gestured to Amazu, who staggered up to join him. His voice was barely audible over the shouting wind. Take the men down there! We can't sail in the storm! We make the ship fast! Stand guard over her! If I'm not back when the storm is done, start for home! Where are you going? cried the Umlotuan. I'll be back, maybe. Stay with the ship. Corin turned and slugged across the ground toward the jungle. Weariness was gone. It was like a machine running without thought or pain until it burned out. Chryseus would have fled toward high ground, he thought dully. Behind him, Imazu started forward, then checked himself. Something of the ultimate loneliness that was in Corin must have come to the Umlotuan. It was not a mission on which any other man might go, and they had to save the ship. He gestured to his few remaining men, and they began the slow climb down to the beach. The castle was a heap of shattered rock, still moving convulsively as the last few boxes of devil powder exploded. The rain barreled down over it, churning through the fragments. Lightning flamed in the berserk heavens. Corin pushed through underbrush that clutched at his feet and clawed at his skin. The sword was still hanging loosely in one hand, nicked and blunted with battle. He went on mechanically, scarcely noticing the wind-whipped trees that barred his way. It came to him that he was fighting for Croman, the Thalassocrat of Achaea, ruler by right of conquest over Conoher. But there were worse things than foreign rule, if it was human, and one of the greater evils had fled toward the mountain. Presently he came out on the bare rocks above the fringe of jungle growth. The rain hammered at him, driven by a wind that screamed like a maddened beast. Thunder boomed and rolled overhead, the roar of doom answering the thud of his heart. The water rushed over his ankles, foaming down toward the sea. She stood waiting for him atop a high bare hill. Her cloak was drawn tightly about her slender body, but the wind caught it, whipped and tore it. Her rain-wet hair blew wild. Corn, she called under the gale. Corn, I'm coming, he said, not caring if she heard him or not. He struggled up to where she stood limbed against the sheeted fire in heaven. They faced each other while the storm raged around them. Corin! She read death in his eyes as he lifted the sword. Her form blurred. The outlines of a monster grew to his eyes. He laughed bitterly. I know what your magic is, he said. You will. You saw me kill, Zathu. She was human again. Human and lovely. A light-footed spirit of the hurricane. Her face was etched white in the lightning glare. Perius! She screamed. The Arigny crept forth, belly to the ground, tail lashing. Hell glared out of the ice-green eyes. Corrin braced himself, sword in hand. Perius sprang, not straight at the man, but into the air. His wings caught the wind, whirling him aloft. Twisting in mid-flight, he arrowed down. Corrin struck at him. The Arigny dodged the blow, and one buffeting wingtip caught the man's wrist. The sword fell from Corrin's hand. At once the Arigny was on him. Corrin fell under that smashing attack. The Rigny's fangs gleamed above his throat. The claws sank into his muscles. He flung up an arm and the teeth crunched on it, grinding at the bone. Corrin wrapped his legs in a scissor lock around the gaunt body, pressing himself too close for the clawed hind feet to disembowel him. His free hand reached out, gouging. He felt an eyeball tail loose, and the Rigny opened his mouth in a thin scream. Corrin pulled his torn arm free. He struck with a bald fist of the devil beast and felt his knuckles break under the impact. But bones snapped, Perius's jaw hung suddenly loose. The Arigny sprang back and Corin lurched to hands and feet, 
Perius edged closer, stiff-legged. Corrin stumbled direct, and Perius charged. One great wing smashed out, brought the man toppling back to earth. Perius leaped for his exposed belly. Corrin lashed out with both feet. The thud was dull and hollow under the racketing thunder. Perius tumbled back and Corrin sprang on him. The barbed tail slashed, laying Corrin's thigh open. He fell atop the struggling beast and got his free hand on the throat. The mighty wings threshed, half-lifting man and Arigny. Corrin pulled himself over on the writhing back. He locked legs around the body, arms around the neck, and heaved. Arigny yowled. His wings clashed together with skull-cracking force, barely missing the head of the man who hugged his back. His tail raked against Corrin's back, seeking the vitals. Corrin gave another yank. He felt the supple spine bending. Heave! Perius lifted a brassy scream. The strange dry sound of snapping vertebrae crackled out. Corrin rolled away from the threshing form. Perius gasped, lifted his broken head, and looked with filming green eyes at Chrysis where she stood unmoving against the white fire of the sky. Slowly, painfully, he dragged himself toward her. Breath rattled in and out of his blood-filled lungs. Perius! Chrysis bent over to touch the great head. Irigny sighed. His rough tongue licked her feet. Then he shuddered and lay still. Paris! Corrin climbed to his feet and stood shaking. There was no strength left in him. It was running out through a dozen yawning wounds. Ground whirled and tilted crazily about him. He saw her standing against the sky, and slowly, slowly he came toward her. Crassius picked up a stone and threw it. Seemed to take an immense time arcing toward him. Some dim corner of his buckling consciousness realized that it would knock him out, that she could then kill him with the sword and escape into the hills. It didn't matter. Nothing mattered. The stone crashed against his skull, and the world exploded into darkness. Chapter 10 He woke up slowly and painfully, and lay for a long time in a state of half awareness remembering only confused fragments of battle and despair. When he opened his eyes, he saw that the storm was dying. Lightning was wan in the sky, and thunder mumbled farewell. The wind had fallen. The rain fell slow and heavy down on him. He saw her bending over him. The long wet hair tumbled past her face to fall on his breast. He was wrapped in her cloak, and she had ripped bandages from her robe for his hurts. He tried to move and could only stir feebly. He laid a hand on his cheek. Don't, she whispered. Just lie there, Corrin. His head was on her lap, he realized dimly. His eyes questioned her. She laughed softly under the falling rain. Don't you see, she said. Didn't you think of it? Charzan's gesh was put on me as a child. I was always under his will, even when he was dead. It was strong enough to drive me along his road. But I love you, Corrin. I will always love you. I love warred with Shazan's will, even as I tried to kill you. And when I saw you lying there helpless, after such a fight as no man has ever waged since the gods walked the earth, I tried to stab you, and I couldn't. Shazan's gesh was broken. Her hands stroked his hair. You aren't too badly hurt, Corrin. I'll get you down to the ship. With my witch's powers we can win through any Xanthi who tried to stop us. Not that I think they will, with their leaders destroyed. We can get safely to Akira. She sighed. 
I will see that you escape my father's power, Corrin. If you will return to the pirate life, I will follow you. He shook his head. No, he whispered. No, I will take service under Crowman, if he will have me. He will, she vowed softly. He needs strong men, and someday you can be Thalassograt of the Empire. It wasn't so bad, thought Corrin drowsily. Crowman was a good sort. A highly placed Conachurian could gradually ease the burdens of his people until they had full equality with Akira in a united and peaceful domain. The menace of the Xanthi was ended. To be on the safe side, Akira had better make them tributary, an expedition which he, Corrin, could lead. After that, there would be enough to keep a man busy, as well as the loveliest and best of women for wife. He slept. He did not waken when Amazu led a squad up in search of him. Chrysius laid a finger on her lips, and a flash of understanding passed between her and the captain. He nodded, smiling, and clasped her hand with sudden warmth. They bore the sleeping warrior back through the rain, down to the waiting ship. <laughs>